Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Text Message. I'm Nate Langson. And I'm Ian Morris. And uh, the UK's fastest consumer broadband speed is about to hit nearly a quarter of a gigabit per second. Amazon has banned Apple TV and Google TV from sale. And we've got the latest Nexus phones from Google to review for you. But pick up a pen and put that on the later base. Because first this week, we are welcoming a guest some of you will know as the host of the video series Fully Charged, some as the man behind Crichton's rubber mask in Red Dwarf, and to some, both, and more besides, possibly. It's Robert Llewellyn. Now, Elon Musk's electric car company Tesla revealed its Model X vehicle this week amidst a lot of cheering and futuristic door design. The company says this is its most advanced vehicle to date, reaching 60 miles per hour in 3.2 seconds, a top speed of 155 miles an hour and a battery that lasts for 250 miles. It's got seven seats, a massive touchscreen, radar, sonar and doors that automatically open when you approach it. It also costs 95,000 quid. So is this the future of automotive vehicles? Is it driving change to the industry? And if so, does the UK stand a chance of benefiting? Well, that's why I invited Robert to join the show this week, because not only is he an EV expert, he also drives a Tesla. I'm curious to get your thoughts on how significant you think the the new Tesla model is in terms of advancing the EV industry as a whole. I mean, I think it, I'm sure it does have a significance, and it, again, it plays. It, it's very specific. It's a very specific market, and that is a thing that I've come to learn from having a Model S in the sense that I've never had in my life ever before a, a car that's that big and that sort of that makes that kind of impact. I've always driven little hatchbacks and small cars. So going from, say, a Golf or a Prius to a Leaf wasn't a big jump in terms of um, the scale of the vehicle you're driving. But going from a Leaf to a Tesla was a terrifying jump for me and I haven't got over it and I'm still scared. Um, Parking it is just terrifying. I haven't scratched it yet, but oh my god! And so I'm not used to big cars. So, I know, but I think what I think is, I when I saw, I watched the um, Elon Musk presentation, which of course, as always, was you know very jobs jobsian in its sort of impact and drama, and very well presented. But and then I saw a Range Rover drive past our house, which there's thousands of them around where I live in Gloucestershire, um, and I went, oh god! Now suddenly. Or over in a moment, that that car looks ancient, rubbish, old technology, great big, heavy, inefficient thing. And the people who can afford to buy that can afford to buy a Model X. And one hopes that some of them will. Yes, absolutely. Now, how do you find the uh, charging side of things in the UK with the Model S? Because I was having a look on a, a map that sort of showed, particularly around London, where the where the chargers are, and it doesn't seem to me to be quite as densely populated with chargers for those models as uh, an equivalent area in, say, New York, in Manhattan, for example. 
I mean, it's it's certainly. I mean, it's it's growing all the time. That's the one thing I've come to notice that the the map in the car updates. It seems to update faster than the map in on the 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 Tesla web, website. But I'm not absolutely sure. I bet they'll tell me that's not true. But I seem to notice them in the car. So um, so far, I haven't had to drive anywhere where I've had to go, oh, God, I can't do that bit because there's no supercharger there. So that includes driving to Scotland, driving to Cornwall, obviously driving into London, driving to Europe. You know, it's it's easier than than any other electric car I've ever had. But I that's mean, because of the capacity. I know you had a Leaf yeah. before, which had a, a lower, possibly still have the Leaf, and has a lower I still have, yeah. Yeah, has a lower capacity than, than the Tesla. So, I mean, is that one of the things that's held us back in the UK? I'm curious to get your, your view on why the Teslas, apart from their, their cost, obviously, yeah. seems to have been... Uh, the, the presence just hasn't seemed to be as great here uh, as, as much as the PR around them. No, I mean, I think they have shifted quite a few vehicles i'm not sure how many are on the roads i mean i certainly see them quite regularly at the at the superchargers that's where you tend to meet other tesla owners so there's one outside oxford that's very popular that has i think eight eight charging stalls and there's very often a couple of other teslas there when i arrive at that one um so you know they're not they are still rare as hen's teeth but they are you know they're i think they're selling them i mean i just think it's a it is a slow process because it, that any one individual tesla owner infects his peers very rapidly and and that's what tesla have relied on entirely they've never spent a penny on advertising so they just let the their existing customers tell potential future customers about the car you know and you give someone a ride in it and they there's i mean there's no one who isn't overwhelmingly impressed with it when they go in even if they're the, an absolute died in the wall petrol head they go oh my god this is amazing so i think it's it's partly down to that. And I don't, I mean, I certainly haven't felt the, the need to, I haven't even adjusted a journey to take in a, a supercharger in the UK yet, but I haven't done that many sort of, you know, long trips. There's certainly areas of the country where it, it appears there's none, uh, East Anglia, for instance, but certainly the, the south of England seems to be very well catered for. I mean, they don't need to be as many as there are, as you would need for a leaf for very obvious reasons, because you, mm. you can go a lot further. I see. So maybe there's a slight chicken and egg scenario um, in that getting the 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 Teslas over here. If they were if they were here, it wouldn't be too much of a problem because the people who are using them don't actually have problems with them. Whereas for some people, their first experiences are with something more like a Leaf, where yeah. they may have run into problems with with chargers or the support for those chargers um, not necessarily being twenty four seven when they break down. Yeah, I mean that's it's clearly the, the it is the the two stumbling points really for kind of mass adoption of electric cars are are batteries and charging. Yeah, every other aspect of the technology works absolutely faultlessly. I mean, I've done 52,000 miles in my leaf. It's, it hasn't even had a, f a vague fault, let alone broken down. It's just, you know, it, I just drive it. I don't even think about it. Uh, you know, so in terms of the motor and the, the drive system, it's, it's as close to faultless as technology allows us. Um, what the, where the drawbacks are obviously the battery and the range of the battery and then the charging infrastructure, which in the time I've had electric cars, which is now about six or seven years, I've been driving them all the time, uh, it has improved enormously. I mean, the change, you know, there was, when I first drove an electric car, there was one rapid charger in a private garage in Sirencester belonging to Mitsubishi. That was wow. the only one in the country. And they used to let me use it. So I'd drive to Sirencester for no other reason 
than to, to use the rapid charger. Yeah, that's not very sustainable, it's is not, it? It isn't sustainable at all, you know, but gradually that's improved. So now, I mean, I went to a motorway services the other day somewhere up in Yorkshire, and they didn't have uh, an ecotricity rapid, they didn't have any rapid chargers. And that's quite unusual now to, to mm. find one. So most of them do. So those journeys are now much more doable, but it's still a challenge because every now and then you're going to come across one. I've done it on the M25 late at night stopped at the rapid charger without any uh, way way before anything resembling range anxiety and the thing wasn't working wow and then you go ah oh, and then you work out can i get to the next one and i could just make it to the next one which was working but you then you've got you know so that for your general motorist that is thinking of uh, changing that's quite a challenge and i'm used to it <laughs> i'm, I'm yeah. hardened to it but that you know that would be a thing but the idea that you might run out for instance that seems to be a very common fear that you know i might have the kids in the back and i'm driving along a country road at night and i'll run out you would have to be uh, 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 illegal it would have to be illegal for you to drive not to notice the enormous amount of information being shouted at you to tell you you might run out and you should stop. You know, mm. the car is pinging, dinging, flashing lights for 30 or 40 miles before you're anywhere near running out. So you've got to be determined. I've made my car run out once because I wanted to see what happened. And the big surprise is it stopped. Yes. <laughs> and so it's it's the there is a sort of a fear based on on lack of knowledge you know people don't know how the the cars work they're very well engineered to make sure that you can get to where you're going the, the information on in the car is very clear about that so you know the the even i mean and the teslas the, the the sort of informatics on the tesla are so advanced that you just go oh my god this car knows what i'm thinking it's terrifying. Wow. <laughs> Even before you've kind of decided your route, you're going, are you sure you want to go that far? You might need to supercharge on the way. You know? <laughs> as, as I'm putting the postcode in, you know, it's kind of worked it out already. So it's very it, – it, and, and that stuff is obviously going to get more and more sophisticated. So the, the, I think the mass adoption will, will bring about new technologies. I mean, induction charging being the most obvious. The more you see that, you will go, that's – That'll work once that gets adopted and built into the cars automatically. It doesn't add, it adds very little to the cost of the car. And that means you don't have to have a wire and a plug and a post. You just park it and it starts charging. You know, so once those things are set in car parks, which is, is happening in other countries and in 10 years time, we'll start doing it. Uh, you know, that will make a huge difference. I can see that. I can see that being a big, definitely a big uh, change driver. If you sort of pardon the slight pun there, yeah. um, and I mean, and I can also see the the advantage of, of, of something like the Leaf. You know, it's almost now then not surprising that they're popular within the cities because they are designed to do these sorts of short runs. Yeah, we need something like the Teslas here to be doing the long journeys outside of the cities or longer journeys, and that in itself, as you say, there's there's kind of a, a word of mouth effect here that that you yeah. can do that in some of the newer models. Maybe that in its itself will spur more people to bring them over here and buy them over here and that may then increase the demand and, and the need for people to actually build a business around installing more superchargers outside of the cities yeah i think you're right i mean but i also i also think that the the what has been interesting certainly if you look at other big motor manufacturers so the the, the companies that tesla has taken a big bite out of their sales are developing 200 to 250 mile range electric cars very quickly so bmw audi mercedes aston martin they're all bringing out pure electrics in the next couple of years because their sales have taken a dent 
because mm. particularly in California, the sales of the Tesla have been phenomenal. Because if you can afford to buy a car that costs between fifty and a hundred thousand pounds, which I think is just <laughs> incredible that there are that many people who can afford to do that, and you don't buy a Tesla, you're just paying that money and then paying a huge amount every week to to fuel it. And in a Tesla, you're not. I so mean, it's I an try- investment. It's, it's an investment. It's definitely an investment. I mean, I've leased mine because I couldn't possibly afford to cough up that much money, and it's still quite difficult for me to maintain that. I've just paid <laughs> for October. <laughs> and it's it's made a dent but you know but, it, but, it's but is that a, is that a car but is that a model i mean is that a model that can work i mean the idea of renting cars i mean this to me this seems like something where renting is very very short term you know i we'll yeah. rent one from an airport or, or, or for for a few days or so or you'll buy one or you'll buy one on credit i mean i i, I truly think that the, the 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 two things that i'm hoping and 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 encouraging to have peaked are internal combustion engines and car ownership and the internal combustion engines for very obvious reasons because there are increasingly viable alternatives but they um but a car ownership i think will become a thing of the past that will still use cars and will still have access to them and there'll be new models that bring about that easily so the obvious one at the moment is obviously um uh, Uber, you know, which yes. is which has become in- insanely popular globally in an incredibly short time, and there's loads of ba- downsides to Uber without question, but there is also an enormous upside, you know, in terms of ease of use and e- yeah. and ease of actually using it. And what you need is that frictionless uh, experience, which I've only experienced in Berlin so far. I know it exists in other cities, but a, a car to go in Berlin. If you have a car to go system installed, it's actually on your, you use your driver's license. So if you're registered for it, you don't sort of think, oh, I've got to book a car on Tuesday because I need to go, I might need to go to the shops or, or what about next Thursday? I must remember to ring them up and book it and go and pick it up. You just go out in the street, there's a car, you put your license on the front, you get in it, you drive it, you leave it where you've got, you need to go. And that's the end of it. That's your relationship with that car has begun and ended with that. You don't need to own a car, you still use one. You know, there's tens of thousands of them in Berlin and they're everywhere you go. And that made so much sense. And some of those were petrol cars, some were electric, some were not diesel, interestingly. I didn't remember a diesel one. Um, uh, You know, and and then you go, well, if I lived in Berlin, I wouldn't dream of owning a car. It would be an insane thing to do because you've got access to, you know, very well-serviced cars that are generally already fueled when you get in them. You know, the whole, that whole system uh, it needs to be developed, and that's a whole other business. And I think big manufacturers are also seeing that on the horizon, that they're not going to be necessarily selling cars to individuals. They'll be selling them to car clubs and car-sharing systems in the, in the most part. Robert rejoins us later to talk more about the future of electric vehicles in the UK and Europe. Stay tuned for that after we discuss our highlights from the UK technology news pages of the past few days. Ian, I give a warm and hearty welcome to your voice. That's fa- thank you. Very kind of you to say. I'm it, excited to be here again. Good. I'm very pleased to hear that. <laughs> now, uh, I want to talk about Amazon, uh, which has done what one analyst described as a sledgehammer approach or took a sledgehammer approach to online retail this is what it has done it has barred the sale of apple tv and google tv devices from its online store the reason because they don't interact well with its own media service 
the online retailer, according to the BBC, said it had made the decision to avoid customer confusion and the devices will be removed from sale by the 29th of October. Basically, again, according to the Beeb, Amazon wants to sell products that work with its in-house streaming video service, Prime Video, which isn't available on Apple TV and Google's Chromecast. Now, this seems to me to be... I mean, the analyst described it as a sledgehammer approach to retail. It seems to me to be a giant middle finger to all of its customers because they may have chosen not to use Amazon TV because they don't want to and because they want to use an Apple or a Google product. And Amazon saying, we don't even want your business because these companies damn them won't work with our technology. Does that not seem kind of anti-competitive, he says, with an admission that that is a very loaded question. Yeah, um, I'm furious. I'm, I'm I'm beside myself with rage about this. And I was extremely angry about it on Friday as well. Um, you're absolutely right. It's I, I mean, whether it's legally anti-competitive in the sense that it could be investigated for it, I don't know. Um, I suspect there's no law compelling shops to sell one product or another. No. Um, and it's entirely up to them. Um, that said, the attempt by Amazon to mislead people by what it's saying, um, it, particularly... You you know, that statement that you said, uh, you know, we, we only want to sell products that um, can interfere, you know, can interact well with Amazon um, Prime Video is so unbelievably stupid and so patronising. It, 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 it left me beside myself with rage on Friday. Um, and here's the thing. Amazon is the one that writes the apps for Android and such. Um, and I wrote a piece with Tom Forbes where I went through the steps necessary to even watch Amazon Prime Video on an Android phone, it is an extremely difficult and irritating process. Um, you have to go to, um, you have to download through the website, not through an app store, uh, Amazon's own app store. Then you must download a Prime Video app, uh, and then you're finally able to watch video on your phone. But of course, you can't cast it to Chromecast uh, because that's a competing product and Amazon uh, doesn't really want to support it. Um, but so, so then to sort of, you know, to say, oh, well, we, you know, we're not stocking these products because they don't play well with our product. Well, first of all, as you said, Nate, you know, it doesn't matter necessarily if it plays well with their product. People don't go to Amazon to buy things necessarily that work with Amazon's other products. I, Amazon's falling into this trap, isn't it, where it thinks that it has this ecosystem that, you know, you'd be better off if you just did Amazon. If you just forget it about, forgot about everything else and, and just concentrated on Amazon. Um and that's just not the way the world works. You know, customers are usually pretty smart. They know what they want. They end up going to Amazon invariably because the pricing is good. Um, and uh, there's probably little more to it than that. And, you know, OK, delivery is pretty good and quick. But it's this whole thing is just it stinks. It really does. Well, and, let's um, let's, poke, uh, it, let's 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 poke know. our head into the into the offal um, causing this stench, because on the other side of the table, we have seen this happen from Apple. Now, Apple has kicked huge numbers of products, big, big, very successful, popular, well-selling products from its physical and online retail stores. Let's let's just recount some of those, shall we? Bose headphones, uh, Fitbit, Nest, the Google now-owned um, thermostat for, for modern homes, all kicked out of the store, arguably because they offer competing products. You know, in the case of Bose, they bought Beats. In the case of Fitbit, they have the Apple Watch. You know, there are lots of products here that get kicked out. Again, on the Apple side, if we're just going to play uh, devil's advocate here, the App Store, unlike Amazon, is the only place to legitimately get Apple apps. And Apple will not even let people buy audiobooks 
from Amazon's Audible through its Audible app unless it gets 30% of the money from Audible. Therefore, you can download the app, but you have to go through the Safari web browser to buy the Audible books and then go back into the app and download them. It's a pain in the <laughs> ass. And I say that bec- you know, not least because I'm a customer of both audible.com and audible.co.uk. So I have seen this happen on the other way around. The reason that this really irks me, and I'm assuming irks you as well to a large extent, Ian, is not so much because of the effect it's going to have on Apple or Google's ability to sell its products. Really, they don't need Amazon, those two companies in particular. Well, particularly Apple. I mean, you know, that, that that's just not an issue, is it? Yes. So, I mean, in fact, I don't even know why you'd go to Amazon to buy an Apple TV because it won't be any cheaper, will it? No, but it's to do with convenience, delivery, blah, blah, blah. There's a whole lot of reasons to yeah. want to do that. Older models, perhaps. The whole fact is, is that for those two companies, they're very large and they're not dependent on Amazon. Other companies are, and they will rely on Amazon for almost all of their sales. And this sets a worrying precedent that if you are launching a product into Amazon, that Amazon may then launch a product that requires you um, support, then not supporting it or competing with it may see you get dropped from its store. And I think that sends an awful precedent for the biggest retailer in the world to yeah, do. They, they, and the other thing is, it's just like this, awful, though. terrible consumer experience. You're saying, come to us. You know, it's the Earth's largest selection. By the way, we're not going to sell anything that doesn't agree to work with our own products. And I think that's a terrible thing for customers to see. Well, just to correct you, Nate, it's not that they won't work with Amazon it's that Amazon chooses not to develop apps for those products in this particular case and that's really the nub of what's annoyed me is that Amazon has created a situation that it's then punishing you know both consumers and other companies for I I think it's reprehensible and I I well I mean what can you say it's a big business ultimately there's nothing I can say that will change anything um, but it annoys me greatly well I think that this is something that is likely to be undone to some extent in future um i can't see this being something that the, that they want to continue doing because of the negative attention and Do of course you, um... the, there's an irony in all of this that you know Go- um amazon's fire tv is built on android which google makes and i don't think that that irony is lost on anyone certainly if it is i hope i've helped you discover it in this wallowing pit of appalling consumer behavior do or you, consumer um, marketing or whatever <laughs> podcast at natelangson.com is where you can send your opinion pigeons loaded with a belly full of observation send it to <laughs> us we will dissect that bird uh and tear out the opinion a, yeah in a, in a clean and methodical way and send the bird plastered up and back on its way for next week podcast at natelangson.com One more quick one I wanted to get to before we return to the second part of our chat with Robert Llewellyn and, of course, the review that we've got coming up from Ian uh, of the Nexus P. Not the P. What's it called? Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Nexus 6P. 6P. Thank you. Yeah. 6P, the new um, phone from Google. And, of course, your lovely, delightful, delicious feedback that's coming up. Um, The news that we wanted to mention is that Virgin Media is launching something called Vivid, which is its new standard, so it claims, of ultra-fast broadband. And the key thing for us, uh, you and I, Ian, I think, is because it means we can get speeds of up to 200 megabits per second. Mm. That is twice as fast as some people's Ethernet cables in their house are even capable of pushing from your router to your machine. 
machine, let alone from the internet into your house. 200 megabits per second, that's up from about 150 uh, sorry, 152 megabits per second now. Now, the bonus is that it's not just for people who are on the very high tier of Virgin's cable products. It will affect most of the customers. So if you're on 50, 100, or 152 megabits, you will be bumped up for free to 70, 150, or 200 megabit per second speeds, respectively. Now, that is great. I got a letter through the door the other day that my broadband for Virgin is once again going up quite significantly higher than the annual rate of inflation. I sort of know that when I get a letter from Virgin, it's only ever we're going to charge you more now. But by the way, we give you great speeds. And normally that really pisses me off. But I have to say, they timed this release quite nicely to sort of, uh, I don't know, pour some some water on my raging tempered skin because uh, 200 megabits per second down that is bloody fast and i sincerely hope that that comes with some faster upstream no, speeds as well it, it does not no it does not um and i because i asked well I, I sort of asked i i tweeted about it and um they told me that no there are no plans to currently uh in currently to increase upstream uh, and then I wrote a piece about it saying how I thought that was absolutely ridiculous and that the modern user really needs, uh, you know, not maybe not comparable upload to download. Um, but uh, certainly, I mean, the things that I do for my job, you know, uploading images, uploading videos, sending this podcast audio to you every week, you know, that that that's stuff that requires fast upload. And I think that the, the world has changed a lot in the last five years and that upload is much more important than it ever was before. Yes, I would agree. I think there are a couple of reservations. One is that typically it tends to be business packages that get the faster upload speeds because it is aimed at, to be honest, people like you who quite often have a home office and need to do that. The average user probably doesn't need to upload that huge amount of content in the same way. But I agree that we're currently restricted to an incredibly small amount. My upload speed is about 16 16 megabits per second compared to 152 down. And uh, even though I don't need a business connection at home, I think getting somewhere like 50 or 60 megabits up would certainly help me move um, some of the big files around, particularly in this era of cloud-based storage. You know, mm, Exactly. I mean, this is the thing. You've got to remember people that, that, that you know, people with iPhones, uh, you know, or any, any phone at all really that sets a backup to the cloud, you're doing that on your home Wi-Fi. It's uh, it, okay, you don't notice it usually, but it's it's using a lot of upstream and it's hampering other things you might be doing. Yeah, I think it's it's changing. It it's definitely changed the face because you know even as I started that sentence, I was thinking more about its file sharers who want to upload. But yeah. as I was continuing through the journey of that sentence, my feet stumbled upon an entirely contradictory view, which is that one about cloud. Um, based uploading and with the iPhone and the Samsungs that we have now and uh, Sony's as well recording 4k video that's knocking on three four hundred megabytes per minute of 4k footage we're talking gigabytes and gigabytes and gigabytes of potential video being captured even by an average user over the course of a weekend if you have a holiday or a party or something and um, it's going to take you forever to upload that so I agree I've completely changed my view (laughs) from being only moderately concerned to now well quite I don't, well, I'm 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 on the I'm sitting on the edge of my seat like somebody in a I don't know high intensity cinema scenario, um, thinking this just will not stand. I won't stand for this. Well, if you won't stand for this, um, and I will remain seated here until Virgin changes its policy. Um, do let us know your views. Podcast at natelangson.com. Do you need faster upload? And key key here. Would you pay more for it? Because while I don't think I should. 
I probably would. And I imagine Ian would at least consider doing two once he gets over the inevitable hurdle of anger and frustration. Well, very shortly, we're going to come to Ian's review of the new Nexus 6P phone. Very interesting device, the latest and greatest out of Google itself. That's coming up in a few minutes. But it's now time first to return to the subject of electric vehicles and Tesla with Robert Llewellyn. Thanks for staying with us, Robert. Thank you. No, thanks for inviting me. One of the conversations that I, I had with, with somebody around the time the VW scandal um, was uh, was kicking off was that Germany and, and com- countries that have very high outputs of uh, internal combustion engines and, and, and cars, they have such a huge amount of their population embedded in the in the automotive industry that there's a resistance to changing that. Uh, and that may be one of the reasons why Europe hasn't seen the same level of electric vehicle takeoff as it has in in other parts of the world. Now, I'm not close enough to the numbers and that knowledge to know whether that's accurate or not, but I believe you might be. Do you have a thought on that? I mean, I certainly have thoughts of that. I mean, I've just been writing something about on this very topic, but because the the it's a they're in a re, I don't envy them <laughs> I don't envy anyone in in a, a who works in a large automotive uh, company because they're really in a, a cleft stick because they can the engineers that work for them and those are the, generally the people I have contact with um, can build a you know their e Golf is a really good electric car their e Up is one of the my favourite electric cars I've ever driven both made by Volkswagen and they uh, you know so they can make them. And then the questions that you start to ask are, well, hang on a minute, because if they actually advertise the e-up in the way that it needs to be pushed, they would say, this car is better than a petrol or diesel car because of this. And the list would be very long as to why it's better. It's much cheaper to run. It's hugely lower maintenance costs, which is a thing that a lot of people who've never driven electric cars don't quite fully understand because there are no maintenance costs. The, The electric motor in a... Uh, an e-up would need a, a sort of service checkover probably once every half million miles. So, wow. you, you, you know, that, there isn't anything there isn't anything moving. It. There's only one moving part. It's incredibly simple technology. Uh, the, the Tesla motor needs needs to be checked once every one million miles. So the car is never going to do a million miles. The car will have fallen to bits long before the electric motor is, is packed up, you know. So, the, the the difference in the running costs of an electric car are huge. Well, they can't advertise that, the big manufacturers. This is all of them, Nissan, Toyota, Volkswagen. You know, all the people who make electric cars now can't really push that because in doing so, they're denigrating the vast majority of their product. They're saying, we'll sell you this diesel car, but boy, will you spend a lot on catalytic converters, on filters, on oil changes, on fan belts, on timing stuff, on, you know, the uh, or, you know, enormous amount of maintenance and spare parts those vehicles need to keep going, which is which we're all used to, which is normal. And so they can't really push it. The only two companies, I argue, that can really push the electric car agenda are BYD from China, because they don't make anything else. They make batteries and electric cars, and Tesla. So the boss of Tesla can say diesels are rubbish. They produce lots of smoke and they're really bad for you. And they, they release particulates and they've been lying about it. He can say that and he's not damaging his own business. The, the boss of Nissan or Tesla or uh, the boss of Nissan or Volkswagen or anybody else can't say that because they produce tens of thousands, if not millions of diesel cars. So they're really in a pickle. And they're, without question, that is holding back some of the, the real hard push 
to encourage people to try uh, to at least try an electric vehicle. And that is really difficult to see because I have contact with obviously the PR people from those companies who are pushing it because that's their job. So they're very pro-electric cars. They're very keen on them. They're trying to get them out there. And I think to be fair to Nissan, they're the one company that have really, you know, jumped, you know, really pushed it. And they, and they uh, you know, they built a car that was from the ground up an electric car. And that has proven its worth by selling, you know, I don't, I think they've, they've passed the 200,000 mark now globally, which for a completely new technology that you're constantly told in the press and by certain very well-known <laughs> TV personalities in the automotive arena, you know, are rubbish and they don't work and you're going to run out and, you're going, and you have to throw the batteries away and they kill children and all that stuff. You know, you've got, you're fighting against a very big lobby. And, of course, the oil industry, who aren't going to remain quiet because you do need oil to, to, to build a, an electric car and you need a tiny amount to lubricate it, but we're talking probably a couple of pints. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I mean, it reminds me a little bit with the, with the, the internal conflict of interest, if you like, that, that you mentioned with VW not being able to promote the electric cars hard so hard because it will damage this their existing the, business yeah. their existing business it reminds me an awful lot of what happened in the photography space actually where yeah. companies like canon were, were making these digital slrs that were suddenly making the camcorder side of the business almost irrelevant yes and and taking in the technology and we've seen the same thing from sony with its phones versus its compact cameras yeah. um it, it reminds me that but to not do that is only limiting your ability to own and, and innovate in that market in the future. Yeah. And so it kind of, it, to use my favorite word in the world, it behooves them to get over that and, it, it, and allow themselves to be cannibalized to a certain extent. It, it certainly does. I mean, and I think that, I mean, that's been my plea with the Dieselgate thing is that if, you know, you, because it, it needs a dramatic, uh, you know, a management with a dramatic risk-taking attitude. So imagine if Volkswagen next week announced that they were going to stop the manufacture of diesel cars. Because I, I, you know, I think that, you know, my argument has always been that, that diesel, that there is a place for diesel in the current globe, global economy, because of trucks and buses and ships and diggers and all these things that kind of the diesel engine is ideally suited to. And they're, and they're, uh, but the, I've always argued that it's a ridiculous thing to put in a small passenger vehicle. It just is inappropriate and it's too polluting. And I don't care what anyone says about catalytic converters. I say they don't work. And the proof is in the air quality of our cities that's got worse in the last 20 years, not better. Yes, because of the increase in diesel cars, and and if they said overnight we're not going to make any more diesel cars from now on, we make petrol, hybrids, plug-in hybrids, and electrics, would be an incredible uh, boost to their business, not a not a destruction of their business. Everyone would go, oh bloody hell, that's good. You know, they've taken this hideous shock. It's in, I was in Germany last week. There is a, an actual feeling in the air of kind of depression and guilt. Wow. <laughs> you know, they're not, they're not as, you know, they're going, because they, it's just awful. And it's a, such a huge part of their national identity as well as their economy that's taken a real battering. I mean, that's not just a bit of a cough in, on the, you know, a little bit of a blip in the graph. You know, they can't sell any cars in the United States. They can't sell any diesel cars. They're not allowed to. And in the, in the hunt that they have right now for the best PR story possible coming out with a message that is we're only going to make petrols, hybrids, yeah. plug-in hybrids and electrics would actually probably do a lot 
in their benefit. It would do and a lot. But, I mean, maybe I, I it's think, the right time to cannibalise themselves. It, it is, but I think I think we both have to admit it's a massive and ridiculous pipe dream. I don't <laughs> think they're going to do it. <laughs> yeah, an exhaust pipe dream, an you may say. An exhaust pipe dream, yeah. Yes. Well, we've um, we've talked for it for, for a lot longer than uh, than I planned, which is, if anything, not a surprise, because I know it's, it's a topic you're very passionate about and I'm extremely curious about. Um, but um, to, to leave it on that note, is there anything, is there any last thought that you have for people considering an electric vehicle in the UK that you would you would get out to them now? I mean, I think the, 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 uh, the best thing to say is have a test drive of one. So if you know someone who's got one, see if you can have a ride in it or let the, the, see if they'll let you drive one or go to a, a you know, a, a garage that, that, that has them. I mean, Nissan's a very... Nissan are very good with giving people leafs for a test drive. You can book in a test drive for a Tesla. You know, if you're in that market, you know, it's it's worth the experience, even if you're not going to buy one. And I think it's just to actually sit in one and go, oh, that's what it's like. I mean, the the, the it is it's become a cliche, but there is this thing which I've always found slightly annoying, but that people call the EV grin. But I've seen it dozens of times. So you see someone drive off looking a bit anxious, and they're going, oh, weird, doesn't make a noise. They drive away, and then ten minutes later they come back and they're grinning. And it is weird. <laughs> and they go, wow, it's amazing. And you just go, I don't want the, the EV grin sounds like sort of really naff American marketing. But I've, I've witnessed it with my own jaded Western European eyes. <laughs> it does seem to happen. So I think it is an, it's, it's, it's worth a, a go in one if you can have a go in one. And, and then work out what, how you use a car, whether you really need one, whether you could live without one but rent them, you know, or, you know, depending on where you live. I mean, I live in the middle of the sticks, so our nearest shop is seven miles. I have cycled there in the summer, but, you know, it's not something I want to do every day in the winter. So we do use cars, you know, for the most basic things out here. But if I, if I lived in London, I wouldn't dream of owning a car. It would be insane. But I'd really want to have a good system around me that allowed me to to use them when i needed them yeah absolutely and i, and I can say i have uh, i have been the create not creator that's the wrong word i have i have given out the ev grin uh, right. when i was recently driven in one of the the, the new leafs in fact um right. just around the west of london ealing uh, where where i live and uh, i i did have to grin it was a very nice experience fact, um, yeah i mean just i think i mean my argument is they're just a bit better than the old cars we're used to you know that's mm. as simple as that and there's you know there's of course there's lots of things you know, there's lots of compromises and challenges you face with that new technology. But on the whole, I'd say that it's a better technology. Simple as that. Definitely, definitely. All right. Well, um, that has been absolutely fascinating. Thank you so much for your time. Where should people be looking out for you next if they're curious about this topic or, or anything else that you're currently working on? Well, if they're curious about this topic, then Fully Charged on uh, a show called Fully Charged on YouTube, which is updated weekly, sometimes twice a week, depending on <laughs> on the latest scandals coming out of the automotive industry, uh, <laughs> which, which is where I've sort of reviewed in my own, <laughs> as some people have said, inimitable way uh, all the just about every electric car that's ever been produced and and a lot of stuff about renewable energy and the energy matrix and where our energy comes from so that's that's that show i've just done a, an episode about electric cars and blind people with a blind man wow um, which is which has been very it was great fun to make he's an amazing man it's worth watching that one but then also if you're interested in other aspects of nonsense that i do um there's two new series of red dwarf coming up in 2016 we're just about to 
start making it. So that's, Fantastic. that's old, old school telly, that is. Yes. <laughs> Not uh, well, media. Very old as a, media. <laughs> as, a, as, a fan of, as a big fan of both, um, I, uh, I'd be looking forward to that. I'm sure a lot of listeners are as well. So Fully Charged, do check that out. It's a very long time show as well. It's been going for quite a, a number of years. Um, well worth a watch. And I'm going to check out the, uh, the episode with the, the Blind Driver. He's, um, he's he's blind, black, and left-handed. So he claims he covers all of <laughs> wow, all, all quarters. <laughs> Absolutely, a smorgasbord of quarters he there. Is, yeah, and uh, and more red dwarf next year. Fantastic news, Robert Llewellyn. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Thanks again to Robert Llewellyn for joining us. Very very good of him. Now we have a review to get to, Mr. Ian Morris, and your review is for the Google. Nexus 6P. So last week, Google announced a pair of new phones, the Nexus 6P built by Huawei and the LG-made Nexus 5X. The larger, all-metal Nexus 6P seems like a more important device, so that's the phone I wanted to review in a little bit more detail here. Originally, and based on the leaks, I wasn't particularly sold on the design of the Nexus 6P. The all-metal design is pleasant though, uh, but I didn't really like that black camera housing on the back. In fact though, when held in one's hand, it's actually a very nice phone. It feels high-end, although the price is just 449 for the 32GB model, which is pretty reasonable. The 64GB model costs 499 and the 128GB is 579 so the smart money is probably on the 64GB for the best possible value. Google highlighted a couple of things of which it's most proud. First, there's the fingerprint scanner, which Google has opted to brand the Nexus imprint to keep the industrial jargon department busy. It's on the back and will unlock both the phone and allow you to pay with things with Android Pay. Like the iPhone, the fingerprint scanner now also allows you to use third-party apps, which is excellent news for people who don't like passwords very much. Following criticisms of the Nexus 5, perhaps, Google's also thrown a lot more effort into the camera. A new 1.55 micrometer sensor captures more light, according to Google, and so you should get better images indoors. The only problem I can really see is that lens remains f2.0, while Samsung has f1.9 and LG f1.8. These both increase the amount of light that can be captured by the sensor, so perhaps the Google results won't be any better than those phones. The screen is impressive too. It's an AMOLED and it has a 1440p resolution, making it a touch better than a full HD screen. As always, big high resolution screens drain power fast, so perhaps that's why Google's put in the 3450 milliampere hour battery that's bigger than the note 4 which is considerably large going back to the camera briefly the images on the nexus 6p are captured by a 12.3 megapixel camera on the back that allows for 4k video recording too on the front there's a generous 8 megapixel camera that should really help narcissists take their never-ending stream of selfies google has also picked the qualcomm snapdragon 810 processor these originally got quite a lot of heat for um producing too much heat, but Qualcomm maintains that was never really a problem. Even so, the 810 in the Nexus 6P is a revised version, running at 2GHz and there's 3GB of RAM to back it up. That should help the phone run beautifully. The Nexus 6P and the 5X for that matter both feature USB-C connectors too, designed to be inserted either way up and to charge the phone quickly. 
It was mentioned as a somewhat important feature. In fact, I'm fairly irritated by it. There was no mention of USB 3, so it's fair to assume that these phones are just USB 2 with a new socket. That means that you'll have to get new cables to use it, and that's just rude. The move to USB-C was always going to happen, but I honestly don't see the rush, and I think it's sort of pointless if you don't move over to USB 3 at the same time. So the Nexus P was a lot better in person than it was in the leaks. I guess I shouldn't be surprised really, um, and it is a strong pair of handsets from Google, and it will be interesting to see how well this phone sells. I suspect that the 5X will be the better seller, um, as it's a little bit cheaper. It is, however, a good price for a mid-range phone, and the Nexus range has always been a somewhat niche market aimed at people who must have the latest unmodified Android OS on their phones, and for that market, there's little doubt that this phone is a good choice. Ian Morris there, giving us his considered view of the new 6P, and of course, it goes without saying, He's here. I just asked him to do a separate review to really sort of condense the thoughts. So um, thanks for doing that, Ian. Now, it seems like you're generally quite impressed with the 6P, but there is uh, room for improvement. Well, yeah, I mean, it, you know, there's always room for improvement, isn't there? Um, I, I liked it. I did like it. I, I wasn't sold on the uh, the initial look of it. Uh, but, you know, look, I mean, it's got a great display. It's got a good battery. Um, it uh, still has a lot of the problems that people uh, were annoyed about with Samsung's phones, which is you know, lack of removable battery and no uh, micro SD support. Um, but Google just does not do those things. Um, it, it hasn't for some time. Uh, micro SD is something that I think Google really wants to get rid of. Um, and again, I, I just I, I ultimately feel like the Nexus range is is very limited in its appeal. I don't think they're phones for everyone. But that said, they're great when you get them. So this um, that leads me to the, the the one question that I have for you. Then, for someone yeah. listening to that, thinking, well, that all sounds great. Is it for me? Who is the ideal person to consider getting the 6P? Like, what have they got now that makes them the perfect candidate for this phone over maybe most others? Mm, good question. Thank you. Um, I don't know. Um, I guess I guess it would be someone with probably something built well. So maybe an HTC One or something. Um, I mean, again, this the, the 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 Nexus is a bit cheaper than a lot of the high end phones you might get um, from and, you know from other manufacturers. So it, it does represent a pretty good deal. And it's and it's stock Android, which is a bonus over say Samsung's um, Touch Whiz and Sony's equivalent. Some people believe so, yes. Um, I, I personally, I think those interfaces have got so much better over the last few years that I, I, they don't trouble me anymore. I used to go out of my mind trying to remove them, but um, actually these days I, I find them to be part of the handset. And, you know, like Apple goes to a lot of effort to make its phones work well with its software, I think that's sort of part of the Android ecosystem. Is True, that, but in the, in the sense that it's also generally more quick to receive updates from Google, yes. you are getting the pure Google speedy experience when it comes true. to releasing new Androids. Very true. So we're saying it's somebody who went for something like the HTC One and really wants something that has the same sort of industrial design, but with some of the better features for a little less money, but without the customization that Samsung yeah. or Sony will put on its phone for better or for or, worse. Or particularly HTC, because they're one of the, the biggest offenders for that. Fair enough. Would that would that be a fair 
target market? I think so. I think so. And I mean, also, you, you know, the pricing, which I've now immediately forgotten, it's, it's pretty reasonable. Um, and I think you might find people stepping up to that. So you may th- see people who were on budget phones previously who've enjoyed the Android experience and want to get something a little bit more high end and think, actually, you know what, that's not a bad price. The only problem with Nexus devices is that they're not, as a rule, stocked in um, on normal service plans. So you have to hunt a bit harder for them. Mm. Uh, I don't know if that will change this time, but that has been the case in the past. Well, let us know uh, any other thoughts that you all have in your wonderful mind machines. Um, send them out through the medium of fingers onto any available keyboard and send them to our post bag, which is underneath the podcast at natelangson.com mail shoot. Don't know how I got through that massively convoluted way of explaining email without stumbling over my own ridiculous terminology. But there you go. That's where you can send it. Podcast at natelangson.com. And as ever, please keep your cash in your pockets. Do not post them through our letterboxes because the only payment that we need and accept is a review on iTunes. We are grateful for your cash. We know that some of you have suggested that you would pay us via Patreon or PayPal donations, and we're very grateful. But realistically, as we say every week, the biggest thing you can do to support the show is leave us those reviews in iTunes, or indeed in any podcast store, but in particular iTunes, just because of how many subscribers it gives us access to um every review you leave gets us a little bit higher up in terms of charts and uh, and new and noteworthy and hot channels in those stores so please do do that let us know when you have done we do keep our eye but we can't look at every pages every country store rather so we always appreciate being told and i think on that note and with once again thanks to robert llewellyn earlier on in today's program we will see you in einavoca hello this is danny pellegrino host of the everything iconic podcast and i'm here to tell you all about splash refresher because hydration is mandatory but boring is not now i love my water but if i don't spice it up i'm not going to finish what i took out of the fridge that's why i love my splash refresher which is flavorful delicious bright hydrating and zero calories. The wild berry flavor is my fave. No, wait. Is the pineapple mango flavor my fave? You know what? All five craveable Splash Refresher flavors are my fave because they're so delicious. So get hydrated and enjoy it with Splash Refresher.